gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Greetings, dear listeners. This is uh, Jonah Goldberg, last time I checked, uh, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Uh, please come on by the uh, Dispatch and check out what we got. Things are just getting better and better. Also, you know, a little plug to my my colleagues. Uh, Steve and Sarah are just got back from Texas where they interviewed, uh, what's his name? Uh, George W. Bush, former president of the United States for the Friday Dispatch podcast. So you should check that out. I've heard some clips. It's interesting. Um, and uh Pretty cool. I think I think the Dispatch podcast is the only podcast that the president has done tied to his book. And it's just because we are so powerful and influential. Um, and he just felt like, you know, we're, we're, we're just the one podcast outlet that he felt he couldn't turn down. Um, and um, of course, you know, they wanted to be on the rem. He wanted to be on the remnant, but I, I, I turned it down. I thought, you know, that Steve and Sarah should have that opportunity to build up their their, their niche podcasting practice. So anyway, um, we're going to do something a little different today. I, I hinted that we might do this um, because I'm still, it, it's, it's weird. Like the solo remnant thing is awkward enough for me, but uh, doing it in the morning feels so much more awkward. And then doing it in front of bipedal carbon-based life forms that, that work for me or with me, um, makes it more awkward still. And so, um, partly for fun, partly as an experiment, you know, as, as, as FDR said at Oglethorpe university in 1931, I believe it's time for some bold, persistent experimentation. And so, uh, I decided to, um, invite these guys, um, uh, Nick Pompella, my, uh, uh, researcher from the American enterprise Institute, Ryan Brown, uh, our sort of roaming free safety podcast slash journalist dude at uh, the Dispatch, and Guy Denton, this back this street urchin we found in the uh, in this you know behind some orphanage in the the, the streets of London. Um, we gave him some porridge, and he's been following us around ever since. Um, he's our intern, and. Um, uh, they're joining me this morning. Say hello, everybody. You can go in the, say hello in the order in which I sort of introduced you. Hi, Jonah. I've become quadrupedal actually from all of the time you've left me in the dark. So I'm not a bipedal carbon based life form anymore. Excellent. Um, um, my experiments are paying off already. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, say hello. Yes. Hello. Hello. Remnant world. Long time listener. First time caller. Hey, so, so uh, Ryan, uh, before we get to guy, cause we can, Put him sure. off indefinitely. Um, <laughs> uh, um, you were saying before that you can speak, you can, you can do a pretty good Irish accent. Well, Johnny, you know it's 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 a hard one to do. Sometimes people think it's Scottish, sometimes it's Irish. I think I find if you blend it a little bit, people don't know the difference, hmm. and um, you can you can fake it. I think well. it's a. It's very good. B. Thanks, uh, John Pedoritz on the Glop podcast that I just recorded yesterday. Kept mm -hmm. trying to do a uh, Irish accent <laughs> and it was very bad, but quite funny. And so did Rob. And the reason they did it was because Rob has been canceled from Irish radio. Um, because like for he, real, for real, yeah. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, but I want to try it out now to see what a good Irish accent 
sounds like in contradistinction to 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 pods. But also, I was hoping to like just see Guy turn and go into a blind rage <laughs> and like want to wipe out your history and and convert you to his you know his statist faith. Um, yeah, I think Guy dropped out of this. Your voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said I think Guy just dropped out when I did that. <laughs> oh, hi, Guy. Oh, he's back. Yeah, hello, Jonah. Uh, thank you for letting me out of a cage this morning. That's always nice of you. I, you know, well, um, yeah, your eyes still haven't adjusted to the light. You keep blinking, but it's it'll, it'll you'll get there. there um, there's no light here. <laughs> there never is. I thought the sun was just a fairy tale. Honestly, I so, should say uh, too that that Ryan, Ryan, for people listening, and we were talking about this before we started recording is the spitting image of Conan O'Brien this morning. So that yeah, makes the accent even better. Especially right now. No one can see it, but the, the coiffed hair is, is quite pronounced with the headphones on. Wow. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, but you're not like 6'9". Um, no, I'm decently tall, but no, not, not Conan tall. Yeah. So we have a visual Conan doppelganger, and we have an auditory Mark Stein doppelganger here. <laughs> um, right. Uh, so we have to work on that. So, um, um, guy, any are you any closer to your you know five old goes west dream of coming to America? I I have a good feeling, Jonah. With all the abuse I've endured working for you over the last few months, there must be some cosmic reward at the end of it, surely. <laughs> uh, no, I mean life is no, a, okay. <laughs> a dark, gloomy mess, and you know ends in tears and suffering with ash in your mouth so you're you're staying there eating out of rolled up newspapers um uh no i just meant like uh, are you like filing are you what 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 do you have to do like you have do you have to have like a job offer in the united states that is unique to your skill set whatever that the hell that is um or is there something like like because you you keep talking about how you 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 hate the country that gave you life and birthed you and created your gave you every every advantage in the world um and in a fit of ingratitude you want to come here so like why what 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 do you have what what are the 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 hoops you have to go through to to get here well it's not exactly a simplistic process as you'd imagine uh but the easiest way well i mean the, the easiest way is to partner up with a company here beforehand and be transferred out but that isn't necessarily the easiest way it's just the least bureaucratic because there's no guarantee that if you work with the, some company here they even would want to transfer you out but as right. far as just coming over cold like this i would need to get a job off the first and then palm all of the paperwork off on on for instance ai so right. uh, it, it could be their problem not mine I am. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, that, that was really subtle there, guy. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, it's going to, it would normally it would take me years to like, oh, that's what he meant. I, I couldn't, couldn't figure that out at all. Um, and so just, you know, just so our listeners know who these, who you people are. And Ryan, you were formerly at Meet the Press, right? Yep. As a yep. Head, head piss boy or something. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That was my official title. No, I was, I was started as a fellow, did a few things there. I left as a production assistant, uh, and now, as you said, I'm the freewheeling uh, master of all trades at the dispatch. I think. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good place. We think it's a good yeah. place to be because it's great. You know, learning curve. Still the key learning. Will, yeah. The key in your twenties is 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 having as sharp an ascent on your learning curve for as long as possible. 
Yeah. Like, the the Conan O'Brien uh, comparison is apt too, because you have to wonder what stage of Conan O'Brien's career is analogous to where you are currently, Ryan. Are you in your Simpsons writer stage, your yeah. first late night experience, yeesh, or no. your second late night experience? I might even, I think he was at SNL even before The Simpsons, and I think that's where I'm at right now. I think I'm writing at SNL in the, in the Conan arc of his career. So not okay. necessarily... <laughs> It only goes up from here, but it goes up, then it goes back down for a while, and then it kind of goes back up again. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned Conan, um, or in your case, it's funny you look like Conan, but uh, you visually mentioned Conan. Um, uh, when I did the podcast that we shall not discuss in great detail with Mike Gallagher, um, uh <laughs> One of the half-baked ideas I wanted to float and didn't get to was I would really like to be a guest on Conan O'Brien's podcast. Oh. Um, Not just for the obvious reasons. It would be great promotion for the Dispatch and the Dispatch podcast and all that kind of stuff. But I think that is a great podcast. Yeah, um, it is. And and he's a bit of a history geek and um, all that kind of stuff. And I I can play with that. And and we're about close to the same age, so I can do the all his obscure references, which... Sona, his assistant, never gets. Oh yeah, I get all of them. Um, <laughs> love to be on that podcast. Um, and if there's some I think we sort just of started of strength a... I could do to to get on it, I would do that. And I very rarely beg to be on any kind of media because I don't like doing most media. But I think we just started a get Jonah on Conan's podcast campaign right here, right now. Uh, Did we not? I, Remnant followers. Know, so tr- I'll tell you a true story. Um, I'm speaking somewhat out of school, but so be it. Um, um, and I, let me put it this way. I have not been authorized by my wife in any way to tell this story. Um, <laughs> oh, sure I cannot wait fun. for this. This but, is going to be great. Uh, some people may remember my wife worked for Newt Gingrich for a while. And um, she signed on because um, she wanted to be, she's a very accomplished speech writer and ghost writer and done a lot of that kind of stuff and written speeches for lots of major politicians and on important things and yada, yada, yada. And, um, but she'd never, um, she really never really did like the, the full-time presidential speech writing or presidential campaign speech writing. She wanted to sort of get on that path. And, um, so I bring that up only because she was not necessarily all in for Newt. It was just that Newt was the last guy in what, 2000 eight this was 2008 i believe or 2000 2008 cycle who hadn't signed up a team yet and so she wanted to um Mm -hmm. so she signed up to be his his speech writer now there were a couple problems with this one is newt doesn't use written speeches um he's like uh bill clinton's a lot like this bill clinton and newt gingrich in their prime neither of whom are currently residing there um (laughs) uh are were the two best extemporaneous speakers in modern American politics. Like I had a friend who um, hired, worked for a trade association and they hired Clinton after he left office to give a speech on some obscure kind of thing. And he shows up with his entourage and all these people with their per diems, whatever. And this was back, you know, probably where, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was keeping the hot tub warm on the plane and all that kind of stuff. But... He comes in and um, uh, with his little entourage and is basically like, okay, so what are we talking about today? 
And, you know, like th- wow. this is like a huge, they're paying them like almost, I don't know, a million dollars or a half million dollars to give this speech, whatever the number was, it was big. And they're like, well, you know, this is billed as a speech on, I'm making this up, but whatever it was, you know, yeah. you know, intellectual property in, in, in emerging markets, whatever. And Clinton goes, oh, right, right. Goes out on stage <laughs> and is like, I'm here to tell you three, th- tell some jokes, but then he says, I want to talk to you about intellectual property in emerging markets, and I have three points to make. And then just boom, 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 just does it, right? And um, and Newt was like that. Newt learned, Newt's one of the, there are other politicians like this. He figures out what he wants to write or what he wants to think by talking out loud in front of audiences. And um, like a you could like, um, I mean, Clinton, I think arguably was better because you could like literally pull him off an intern, <laughs> slap him with like a semi frozen fish and say, you know, give me 45 minutes on stranded costs in utility reform in Guatemala. And he'd just start talking. Um, but Newt was really, really good. And he would just go out and you'd say, I have five points to make today, even though he doesn't know what the fourth and fifth points were. He would just get there when he got there. And so it's all very interesting, but utterly useless for a speechwriter, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. um, so she helped with this and she helped with that and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, long story, very long story short at this point. Um, um, Newt wasn't moving to get into the race and Jess was getting frustrated because like she, she didn't sign up yeah. to be part of this. And again, these are all my descriptions not my wives my wife is a very professional lady uh she didn't sign up to be part of this movable feast of a cult of personality she signed up to like work on a campaign right and so at one point she talks to newt about it and and newt says jessica there are lots of people who spent their time in the wilderness reagan oh. churchill all and and then just sort of trails off as if like naturally you would fill out this series with Gingrich. <laughs> and um and like when my wife told me the story, I was like, you know who else spent an enormous amount of time in the wilderness? Bud Gretnick. The thing is, he never got out of the wilderness, so we have no idea who he is, right? And so anyway, um uh and at one point after some two-day seminar thing that she had to do. She goes out for drinks with a bunch of people and she's like, guys, you know, I have friends in Iowa who are like doing campaign stuff and they're like, they want to know if Newt's going to run because if Newt's going to run, they won't commit to somebody else, whatever. You got to hold these people, you know, the talent in place and kind of thing. You got to send a signal, whatever. And they all look at her like she's crazy. And um, she's like, what? And she said, yeah, they said, what? You think? you think Newt's going to like become president by like running in the Iowa caucuses? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, well that's, that, yes. And, yeah, that <laughs> and, <works. laughs> and, the, and sh- they're like, no, no, he, he, this, this is going to be a grassroots up people powered movement where they are going to draft Newt Gingrich to save this country. Oh my God. And, and my wife came home and started looking for other jobs. <laughs> um, uh, so when you say this is a campaign to get, 
yeah. me on the Conan O'Brien show, uh, I, I, I feel like even if all of the most devoted listeners of this podcast dedicated <laughs> their lives and their sacred honors to that task, <laughs> we would not v- get very close to me heading out to Burbank or whatever to be on the Conan O'Brien <laughs> podcast. But I'm, I'm hopeful. Fingers I'm crossed. Hopeful. I'm hopeful. Um, so Rommel what, also spent a lot of time in the desert. Just, just saying, you know, Rommel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's true. Just, just to name someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to continue that list. Yeah. I guess you don't want to go on Joe Rogan to talk about like DMT or like, um, get high, like on air or anything like that. Well, yeah. I guess he can't do that if he's in Texas now though. So that, that if fundamental part of his show is now gone, I think. You know, a bunch of people have told me I should go on the Rogan. I mean, I've never been invited. It's not like I've refused. The only show I have a blanket policy of refusing to ever go on again is um, Bill Maher. But um, uh, I do the Rogan show. I just, you know, I haven't listened to much of it. It's three hours, and I haven't smoked weed in a really long time. And um, (laughs) well, you're you are not like like there are very you know. Uh, you are within the realm of popularity of the people that he has on the average episode. So, I mean, we could, we could start a GoFundMe and just launder all of this money to get you on both Conan and his show. (laughs) Yeah, but but like, look, I mean, look, my point is, look, if I had a book out, I'd tell like PR people, Hey, yeah, great. You can get me on the Rogan show. That's fine. You know, and if we're doing a PR campaign for the dispatch, maybe that makes sense. So though, Mm -hmm. how much of Rogan's, audience is like in our core target audience for the dispatch i don't know i'm not they being just sarcastic. do whatever he says though see that's the thing yeah that's say, true go sign up for the dispatch and we would have a million new followers but um yeah but uh, well i i don't want to disparage anybody uh, his audience but my point is like i actually don't like doing tv anymore i don't like doing radio interviews anymore i don't i barely like doing podcasts anymore <laughs> and uh <laughs> And so it's very rare for me, like the last media appearance that I did that I was straight up jazzed about, like not, I don't mean just like, like I thought it was really worth my time. Like when I get invited on Meet the Press or this week, it's worth my time professionally to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important and I move things around to make it happen. That's not what I'm talking about. But I don't like have a spring in my step. Like this is like, yay, you know, that's not, that's not the emotional state I'm in. Last time I was like legit psyched, wanted to do well, was eager to do something in media was when I um, was a guest host on AMC's uh, what is it, Turner Movie Classics or whatever. Whoa. And I got to talk about uh, uh, Face in the Crowd and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And wow. Oh, wow. That was fun. Yeah, that, that was like legit really cool. fun, cool. I was nervous. Like I, I don't get nervous like doing TV very much <laughs> anymore and all that. But I was like straight up, I don't want to blow this because this is cool. And that's how I would feel about doing the Conan thing. That's that's my point. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, we gotta make it happen. All right. So who wants to do so we're trying to do this, and I'm doing a very bad job of it because I've never done this before. But um uh we're trying to do this a little bit like drive time, you know mad dog morning crew kind of thing so um uh and so we i don't know what the official roles are none of you are are frankly attractive enough to be like the the (laughs) hot chick weather person kind of thing but um or traffic on the nines kind of thing but uh um one of you needs to be like a news explainer person um so who wants to explain what's going on with the mat the latest development the matt gates thing 
I did skim the article this morning. Yeah, that's all you need to know. I mean, he, <laughs> one of his his wingman, as the Daily Beast put it, Ryan basically is doing air quotes, just so you can tell. Yeah, audience. yeah, wingman, uh, just confessed everything and wrote it down. So that they could match his handwriting against something else he's handwriting. So they could prove it, basically, that he wrote it down, asking Roger Stone to ask the president for a pardon. Right. And and the part I liked the best, let me see if I can call it up. Um, I mean, I liked the offering him a quarter million yeah. dollars in Bitcoin. Right. You know, because that's just... Um, Wait, who offered who a quarter million dollars in Bitcoin? That's okay. Uh, Ron, you explain it while I look for this thing. Yeah, the uh, Greenberg, the disgraced Florida politician guy, yeah. went to Roger Stone and was like, "Hey, we can offer you a quarter million dollars in Bitcoin if you can get us a pardon from the president." Nice. And uh, and then yeah, there's just the a lot is, of back if I and get forth. you 250k in Bitcoin, would that help? Or is this not a financial matter? Right. Greenberg wrote this down. <laughs> um, but uh, my favorite part is... I also have a favorite part of this. Okay. The, all right, so yeah, so for context, like Stone asks Greenberg to fully write out what he did wrong. Yep. Um, and what I want to know is, I haven't seen it. One thing I legit want to know is, did he write out the stuff that was like not sex with hookers and teenagers out like, you know, the embezzlement charges and that kind of thing. Um, Cause I they don't, don't mention know. that, but um, so let me see. So wait a minute. So um, just to be clear. So this is, this is Greenberg copying, so to speak to responsibility to what funnel, hookers of, to uh, among Gates, other things or? doing uh, among other things sleeping with a 17 year old himself but mm -hmm. also of being the cutout for gates to pay girls yeah. for sex as well oh um, which is totally exonerating of gates is that supposed to be the idea no 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 it's totally damning of gates it's okay. like he, he, he's <laughs> okay. like he's basically confessing to a crime and saying that he his accomplice was matt gates okay, um right. all right so here, or here's MG the part or matt as he's as he puts it in writing um, well, Matt could be anyone. <laughs> exactly. Okay. See, so in those, I'm reading from the Daily Beast article. In those letters, Greenberg detailed his relationship with Gates. He confessed to paying young women for sex, and he claimed that he, Gates, and other and others had sex with a minor they believed to be 19 at the time. Greenberg said he learned she was underage on September 4, 2017, from quote an anonymous tip, and quickly contacted Gates. First of all, I love the anonymous tip thing, like, like, because they're just like these good Samaritan tipsters who are like putting notes under this dude's door or something. I mean, what, what the <laughs> yeah, hell? Um, right. But anyway, he goes on to write. Immediately, I called the congressman and warned him to steer. To, immediately, I called the congressman and warned him to stay clear of this person and informed him she was underage. Greenberg wrote, "Quote: He was equally shocked and disturbed by this revelation." <laughs> Greenberg continued in his handwritten draft that he, quote, confronted the then 17-year-old and he explained to her, quote, how serious of a situation this was, how many people she put in danger. 
she she yep. apologized and recognized that by lying about her age, she endangered many people, he continued. There was no further contact with this individual until after her 18th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I had this, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just such such unbelievable gentlemanly behavior, right? You know, like right. chastising the seventeen-year-old right. for being the one in the wrong because right. for while well, we're 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 diddling you for gas money, right. but um, then like saying I, I I'm steering clear of this young this young <laughs> vixen um, until she turns eighteen, and then they you know game on. Yeah. Okay. Um, a, a so, question, question though, uh -huh. question. So, is this is this uh, a, an example of some sort of great degradation of Congress, or is it that there have always been sex maniacs in politics, and now it's just that the Daily Beast, like well, no matter what you might say about it, like the guys that we had on the podcast, Swin and Lachlan, that mm -hmm. episode, which was a great episode, that they just have some of these news organizations have really great investigative reporters. And now we just know about it, unlike, you know, I don't know how long it took for the Kennedy story to develop, you know, in terms of uh, what you might say, tipping the waitress. Um, but is it just that there's more immediacy or is, is Congress actually degraded? Like, what is the deal here? You know? Okay, so I, um, I think you've got some recency bias issues, my friend, mm -hmm. um, uh, because when i when 1980 early 1980s there was the page scandal where uh where congressmen were doing bad things to okay. house pages right um it was you know it was like a greek gymnasium Duh. um and uh like the caligula movie yeah something like that yes and um um and there was what the Mark Foley scandal. I mean, so congressmen yeah. have been doing bad things for a long time. And like Charlie Wilson, um, I don't think yeah. there's any, I don't believe there's any accusations of like law breaking or anything like that. But I, I think like, like if some of the stories are true, I wouldn't be surprised if like when Hugh Hefner went on a tour of Congress and he went by Charlie, you know, uh, Charlie Wilson's office. He was like, I got to hang out here. This is wild. <laughs> um, so um, uh, there's always been sex stuff. And again, I, I, and again, I am like uh, on record. Like I, I wrote out words, not confessing to a crime. Um, I wrote out words explaining this in great detail that, that I think Gates was like the worst member of Congress before we knew any of this right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. I, 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 what I don't want is for people to think, oh, you know, this, this is why Gates was bad. And until then he was some sort right. of, you know, great leader. But, um, um, I think that we just, so part of it, I think is recency bias. Cause there's always been a lot of this kind of thing in, 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 in politics. Um, certainly there were hookers and all that kind of thing in the 1950s. But there was also like, and and this has been like really, this has been written about in books and in all these kinds of things, the, the boys on the bus stuff and how um, the press, particularly for Kennedy, who was really egregious about this kind of thing. And, a, and let's just be clear, a terrible person 
<laughs> when it came to these kinds of things. You know, he basically bullied a young woman who worked for him to service like his chief of staff or something. Um, and, uh, um, uh, but the press ran interference in the old days, particularly for politicians that they liked. And I suspect that some of the politicians they disliked didn't do this stuff as much, you know, the sort of squares. Um, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, daily beast, good for them for getting this, but then again, dude, you wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> like, and in multiple drafts and in one of the yeah. drafts was in his own handwriting. So like, even yep. like he can't deny it now. Yep. Right. I mean, it's, um, he's, this guy sounds like the brick Tamlin of, of man act <laughs> violators. And, um, so, you know, like sometimes the stupid stupidity is so flagrant. You just, you got to own it and you got to like, you know, this is, this is what it is. So, um, my favorite part, my favorite part is stone gets back to him on December 8th. He says, your thing is being looked at and I will have an answer by Saturday as to whether you have a viable shot at justice and how long to go and how to go about it. Greenberg replies, thank you so much, Roger. I'm, Roger. I'm very thankful for you. I pray that the Lord will help. I remain optimistic and will wait to hear back from you. You can pray all you want, buddy. But I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's the route you want to go here to seek justice. Again, air quotes on the justice. There is no God here. Uh, I, mean, I, I know I brought this up before, but this uh, it kind of reminds me of um, my dad's biggest complaint about the first and third Indiana Jones movies. Right. Where like the Nazis think that if they get their hands on the Ark of the Covenant, God will have no choice but to side with the Nazis. Or in the third one, if God, if the Nazis get the Holy Grail, Jesus up in you know heaven is just like, my hands are tied. What can I do? They got it. Like, you know, I am bound by this cup. To yeah. like do the Nazis' will, <laughs> and, yeah. um, and similarly, like I'm praying to God for justice. Yep, that Roger Stone, <laughs> a goes to Donald Trump, carbuncle yeah. of of you know world historical proportions, will bring me justice from Donald um, Trump. From Donald Trump, <laughs> yeah, for my multiple and repeated <laughs> violations of law that I have written down that in the most favorable terms possible to myself. And they are still damning. Yeah. Um, now, so, Jordan, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you were, let's say Matt Gates, chief of staff, and you're trying to ride this out, you're trying to survive this thing. How would you advise, advise he goes about the next few weeks? I, I wouldn't say, well, I don't know. Look, it's an interesting question because my it's instinct, a, it's a leading question because I'll tell you what he's doing after. No, this. I know. Well, that's the thing. I was about to say okay. I wouldn't do what he's about to do, but and then I caught myself because like my instincts are typically towards the try to do the right thing and sure. let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm like the most honorable person in the world or anything like that. It just I have my I have a, like a homunculus version of my dad on my shoulder saying do the right thing and you'll feel better about it later because you can at least have a clear conscience yeah. about it right and it's a fear of guilt i mean i mean like the sure that part of the jewish force is strong in me of mm -hmm. like just fear of guilt and um organizing my life to avoid feeling guilty about things and uh so my instincts would conform to some of that stuff 
Right. And I would go out and maybe ask for forgiveness, that kind sure. of thing. Um, sure. I, I have sinned, do the Jimmy Swaggart and cry a bit kind of thing. Sure. Um, but I think as, you know, maybe you guys will try to be nice to me and say I, I'm wrong about this, but I think we can all agree that many of my political instincts have been proven incorrect over the last five years. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 boss. No, no. No, great wise leader. Not at all, no. yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, maybe going out with Marjorie Taylor Greene and going on the we're going to stop the Jewish space lasers tour yeah. is the way to go. Yeah. Right. I which mean, is what I, he's doing for those of you that don't know. Which is yeah. Exactly no, like literally, he's. he's I mean, I don't know. Yeah. The Jewish Space Lasers tour, which actually, maybe we should get that a mock concert T-shirt made for the Swags <laughs> shop for the Remnant with Jewish Space Lasers tour. Um, yeah. The first stop you know, is the villages. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> be like screwing with your weather. We, screwing with your weather since fifty four hundred BC. <laughs> um, uh, but. Uh, uh, maybe, I mean, like a lot of the, you know, like the Trump's whole shtick was own what you did, never apologize, double yeah. down and force your supporters to yeah. bend themselves around what you did and defend it. You know, and we've seen that with January 6th. We've seen this with a gazillion other things. Yeah. I just don't know that it's going to work for Gates, you know, because, right. I mean, you, you know, there are, there are people out there who like Gates, but there aren't enough of them. And he, and he's only a congressman and you know he's he's got very important hair but um sure. you also you know you don't want to give an escaped monkey from a cocaine study a pair of scissors <laughs> to like run around with right um you also don't want to tie your political fate to Marjorie Taylor Greene right because like she could say things that even Matt Gates thinks are back guano crazy and right. people are gonna be like well you decided to go on tour with her you know right. so, but i don't know what do i want what like, do i know they're like the gracchi brothers or something which ends poorly nice. for the gracchi brothers i believe but no, never mind we won't continue with that comparison we should talk about something for reals i guess right um oh god uh you know we need some punditry okay so my biggest peeve about the um, Biden address other than it's, it's, it's length and it's, um, total violence to all notions of government restraint and all those kinds of things. And I mean, the nudity was tasteful and integral to the plot, so that was fine. <laughs> but, um, my biggest peeve in that was, um, and I was talking about this on Glop yesterday, but, um, so, as you know, I mean, I've written about this a bunch. One of my big gripes with how the left talks about, I forget the left, the Democrats, including Joe Biden, talk about climate change is they routinely say existential threat, extinction level threat. Um, and the thing is, for most normal people, when you talk about an extinction level threat, the kind of stuff you think about is like, here comes an asteroid, right? And, um, um, now imagine a president of the United States speaking before the country, although like no, almost no one was listening, but, uh, speaking before country. And he says, when I think of that 
massive planet-killing asteroid heading our way only 10 months out, the first thing I think of is jobs. <laughs> right? That's what he said about climate change. He says, when I think about climate change, I think about jobs. What? You can't, you can't do that. You can't tell me all life on Earth is in the balance. And what I'm thinking about is like how the electrical workers are going to get some fat contracts out of this. That's That's not... There's a disconnect. There's a moral disconnect there, right? right. And then, um, the 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 second biggest peeve was, which was an ad lib, and apparently he does this on it's it like all politicians, and, including me, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, you have certain things that you just say a lot because they're short of shorthand illustrations, and a lot of listeners on this podcast complain how I often will say, as I said before. And that's my concession to being embarrassed by repeating myself and, and revealing that some of these things are like little set rhetorical set pieces I use. So I'm being guilty of that as well. But um, Biden often says this on the stump. He says, no, no right, or as he said at the address, no amendment is absolute. Mm -hmm. um, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Now, I have no French is exploding yeah. page. Yeah, no, first of all, this is the kind of thing that is going to give David French the kind of stroke that causes you to forget the letter H or something, right? <laughs> um, but first of all, uh, as David pointed out on the Dispatch Live thing and about 8,000 other times, I mean, I don't think <laughs> there is a shoeshine guy in the greater Tennessee Valley area that hasn't heard David French explain why you can't yell fire in a crowded theater is, is, is a bad thing to say. Um, but the gist of it is, is it comes from a, a case where uh, the judge was invalidating legitimate free speech rights um, on the grounds that uh, a peaceful leafleteer was akin to someone yelling fire in a crowded theater. And it is one of the great uh, it is one of the great examples of an abridgment of of free speech in this country. Mm -hmm. Moreover, you can yell fire in a crowded theater, and even more importantly, if the theater is on fire, you should yell fire <laughs> in a crowded theater. Like you're a bad person if you keep it a secret that there is a fire in a crowded theater. That would be great. That would be great if you really couldn't and there was actually a fire and you had to find a way to say there's a fire in a crowded movie theater. Yeah, like, there's a great there's, conflagration. There's, yeah, there's <laughs> oxidization go, happening at a rapid level. You had to go up and mime it, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> huge things but that no, are scary. I, I, I'm I'm so like I as a joke, um I and sometimes I engage in jocular activity on Twitter. I tweeted, you know, someday there's going to be a real fire in a theater. And because of all these politicians saying <laughs> that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, people will die. Right. And the number of people who thought I was serious, who were, <laughs> who hit me with, well, actually, maybe they'll be okay because a government mandated fire codes and uh, sprinkler systems will save their lives so you won't have to yell fire. And, <laughs> and you want to, like like an airplane, when 
the guy keeps telling these stories that bore people to death. You just you, you yeah. want to <laughs> upend a jerry can of gasoline over your head and set yourself on fire to think that these people are out there interacting with normal humans. But the more significant point, which is kind of going to ruin to write this about a G file, but uh, is that whenever you hear people say, um, "No amendment is absolute" or "No lib- no free no right is absolute," um, they're first of all they're correct. Yeah, that is true. Um, because some rights impede upon other rights if you take them to their extreme. All poisons are determined by the dose, yada, yada, yada. But two things. One, if I went out and said, you know, the 13th Amendment isn't absolute, um, there are many people on the left who would rightly say, kill him. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, you know, like there are plenty of like, Amendments that people think are you're not allowed to say are an absolute, but fine. But they're but Biden is essentially correct on that. The problem is, is that whenever people say, you know, no right is absolute, no amendment is absolute, there are limits on all of our rights, they then proceed to propose something that actually does violate right the like the meaty part of the amendment, right? You know, this yeah. is most common on guns, you know, like uh no amendment is absolute you know second amendment does not you know it doesn't you have to have some it says well regulated blah 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 blah. and you can nod at that and then they say and that's why we need to confiscate all the handguns right (laughs) and it's it's this abracadabra phrase that lets you like pretend you're being reasonable and accuse the other guy of being reasonable while at the same time proposing a pretty considerable infringement on, on constitutional rights this, but I would have no problem the, if someone said, you know, not all rights are not all, you know, not all rights are are absolute, and um, and therefore, Guy Denton cannot have um, a multi megaton thermonuclear bomb. <laughs> Fair enough, correct. Yeah. He cannot have. Well, one. well, Jonah. In fairness, you know, I would use it on this country, so that's why. <laughs> that's why I should be restricted in that regard. Well, the greatest also, evil in modern geopolitics, the UK. <laughs> it, 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 and you know, it's funny. Years from now, when Guy is like the the supervillain that he so clearly is going to become, <laughs> um, we're all going to look back on this moment and, and like, you know, we sh- that shit should have been a tell. You know, and, and and I don't think I don't think George W. Bush is going to want to paint you as one of the immigrant success. <laughs> no offense. But also, I should say, you know, just for the record, that I shouldn't have signaled that guy for that hypothetical, precisely because, you know, Brits have no constitutional rights, um, and he's not an American, so uh, can't even own a gun, Jonah. It's outrageous. Um. You people but, were going to go after knives for a while there too, weren't you? Yeah, well, there was talk of knife control in in the UK, right? There, there was. I don't know what's happened with that. I think it may have been a London specific thing. But then yeah. the the virus has sort of overshadowed everything, and that also gives gives the government an excuse not to talk about Brexit, and no one has to think about whether that's right. going well or terribly anymore. Yeah. Well, in the great tradition of British parliamentary democracy, if they're going to do gun control and knife control, because that's going to stop the problem, they should also just do COVID-19 control and just make it illegal 
to have the virus and then it will be against the law for the virus to be in the country and then the virus will go away because it's illegal right i mean I like that's it. the way like that it. the yep. parliament works right a friend of mine told me that a couple of weeks ago and i thought it was the funniest thing i've ever heard <laughs> I, I i will just say on the on the rights topic one thing to to move it away from the rankest of punditry and into kind of the reason that the remnant exists just for a moment i just want to briefly stand up for the third amendment because it has been the butt of so many like i love a, the third a, a we, yeah it's a it's it's been become the butt of a weirdly high proportion of jokes in the public sphere in the past year i would say so you have john mulaney during his saturday night live routine um the last time he hosted doing this bit about how it's so funny that basically they guarantee speech they guarantee the right to defend yourself and then the third thing that they think is yeah. most important, and then he does this silly accent when he does it, and he goes, the army can't live in your house. <laughs> and it's, it's very funny. It's very funny. Mm -hmm. But then also one of these very, very popular sort of meme YouTubers named Sven Johnson, I also saw this video recently where he enacts this skit of a bunch of people in the army going like, hey, can we crash on your couch? And then they put the Third <laughs> Amendment up. And the description of the video is something like, wow, this document seems very important and relevant in that kind of Gen Z way where it's like, yeah. hey, casual anti-Americanism. Um, I would just like to say that just saying that this is irrelevant because we're in 2021 and we don't have an invading force on our land. I, I, to me, this is one of the greatest signs of the fact that we are on the road to serfdom, right? I mean, I mean, like the fact that no one has a working knowledge of why that amendment exists and we all just go, that's stupid. Like yeah. this shows that the whole thing is right. stupid, right? <laughs> right? Like right. that, that is just so just because it's not an immediate need right now. Right. I mean, to some people, oh, we just don't have to worry about it ever. Right. right. Well, obviously it's not. It's, I mean, I, I think I might write about this today, so I'll be brief about it, but it kind of reminds me, I keep seeing all over the place people saying, uh, what is this? Eddie Gloud says it like every five minutes on it somewhere on MSNBC. I don't know when this guy finds time to teach a class at Princeton because he's just like constantly <laughs> on MSNBC. And um, uh, and that guy whose name I don't want to butcher um, who did a little debate with Ramesh the other day. Oh, um, right. Anand Gas? Gas? I mean, again, I oh, don't, don't want to get into a thing. But... Uh, he has a big piece about whether progressive era is here in the Atlantic. And they all keep saying how, first of all, they keep all of them keep misquoting Reagan who, you know, they say the, uh, the idea of Reaganism was that government is the problem. And if you actually read the actual line, it's something like if memory serves in this particular moment, in this particular crisis, government is the problem, which is different. Right. Um, it goes from a categorical statement to a specific statement, which is, different and um but the upshot of all these arguments from these people is that we are now in this moment because biden is spending enough money to scald a wet mule as Haley barber used to say um uh we're in a progressive area where we think government can do everything and is wonderful and all this kind of stuff and i, I don't think that's necessarily true i think you know uh there are very good arguments against this um uh for one like if this was like the New Deal era or the Progressive era, you wouldn't have the Senate controlled by the Democrats by a tie-breaking vice president. They would have the votes that they needed. Um, you wouldn't have the people who are against a lot of this stuff 
poised to take, you know, the Republicans poised to take back over the House. I can make a contrary argument to say now that Republicans don't care about spending anymore, that it is a little bit more like the progressive era because you just have different factions of progressives who just want to do slightly different things, but they all agree on the role of government. But I don't, I don't think Republicans are actually in that headspace. It's just they're getting there. But regardless, they all talk about, you know, the anti-government stuff is over. Anti-government stuff is over. Yay, yay, yay. Um, you know, the witch of Reagan is dead, yada, yada, yada. And then you have all this police reform stuff where they say, or a lot of these people, maybe not the same people, but a lot of these people say, oh, and we need to abolish the police. And the thing is, you know what the police are? <laughs> the government. Like, they're like, they're like the bleeding edge of the yes. government. They're actually like where the government meets the road. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like if if Max Weber is right that what defines the state is the monopoly on violence and the ability to impose your will through force and yada yada yada. If if Albert J. Nock, praise be upon him, is right that you know, blah, 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 you know, that the state is basically a gang that uses its force. If Mansur Olson is right about the origins of the state and the stationary bandit, then the police are the symbolic breathing face and in instantiation and manifestation of government in our lives. And they're like, let's abolish it. They still want to criminalize a lot of things. They still want to ban a lot of things. I mean, like, you know, the same people just this week who wanted to, who are pushing for legalizing weed everywhere, which I know makes Nick very happy. Um, yeah, yeah, with the hair, it's really, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you just, you, you have, it's, it, you know how like Kong Island is shrouded in clouds? <laughs> like you're kind of the same thing with Potsma. But um, uh, the, the, so they're free, they're fine with legalizing weed all over the place, but they want to ban menthol cigarettes. Right. You know, right. and right. the question is, who do they want to go down to the local bodega or 7-Eleven that is illegally selling menthol cigarettes to tell them to stop? Right. Right. Because there's this right. really, I used to find it very tedious, this thing that libertarians always used to say of how to prove government is force. And you guys, you missed out. The 1990s were a lot of fun. You basically had like, <laughs> like instead of Mormons, you know, or Seventh Day Adventists knocking on your door to tell you about the good news or whatever, DC was full of like these little libertarians who would come <laughs> up to you and try to like convert you to the <laughs> glorious cause of freedom by have have you heard the good news yeah <laughs> the government is theft i mean like that's the kind of <laughs> crap they, they would, and they and one of the things they would always do is they would walk you through this stuff about how you know if you violate i can't remember who first wrote this but they quote it like a, they used to quote it like a catechism you know like Pick anything that is against the law in your life. If you refuse to do it, if you feel, I think it's like if you refuse to mow your lawn and it grows and there's some city ordinance, eventually men with guns will come to your house and force you to do it. And fact check, true. Fair enough. But like, there's something very weird about talking about how uh, anti-government stuff is over while at the same time talking about how the people who risk their lives the most and take the most chances to enforce the most important laws um, all need to go as right. if like mm -hmm. we're going to get 
all of this other stuff without men with guns and women, women with guns too. Right. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate the issue of police abuse. I think it's real, but like this notion that you're going to get rid of, if you, if if you honestly think you're going to get rid of the state's ability to use force, you're basically saying you're getting rid of the state. And that's, that goes, goes back to Matt, back to Max Weber. That goes back to this thing called logic. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I just think it's kind of weird. So, um, it's right, so, um, you, you need to modify your phrase from buy gold to buy menthol. That's going to be your next uh, <laughs> yeah. big purchase. That's right. I mean, I look at it, and and I I'm I'm totally open to the idea that that you know I don't know I don't like cigarettes. My parents smoke cigarettes. My parents smoked a lot of cigarettes. Hmm. Uh, one of the reasons I have weird looking lungs is because my parents smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> I mean, um, my uh, um. My dad, for a while, you know, I don't think your generation, friggin' whippersnappers, don't even know what a fax machine is. But uh, the uh, the phrase "chain smoker," you know what? Actual yeah. chain smoking is when you finish one cigarette and you light the next with the the burnt ember of the one you just <laughs> finished. Oh so you were God. literally it's a chain of cigarettes all day long. Yeah. My dad would smoke at the when he was really a workaholic. Four and a half packs a day, something like oh. that. And uh, he cut oh way back, God. and then he started smoking Carlton's, which were like the super fil- filtered cigarettes. And he always used to say, um, "It's always a choice between getting flavor or giving yourself a hernia smoking these things," because he had to <laughs> take such a big drag on them. But um, so I don't like. But anyway, I don't like cigarettes. I don't think they're good. I don't. I think the war on cigarettes kind of went nuts, and there's all sorts of interesting arguments about how the state is basically complicit in cigarette smoking because of the compact that they got in the 90s between the state AGs so that the that various states now try to they they they're addicted to the money from the settlement to pay for all sorts of of local things that they're actually turned into enforcement agents for the big cigarette companies to collect the taxes and keep out things like American Spirit cigarettes I mean there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there but that's not my point so I'm I'm torn about you know the the this banning of menthol thing on the merits, but there is something remarkably condescending in saying how because these are quote unquote targeted at black people, um, they need to be banned, as if like black people have less agency than right. white cigarette smokers, and. Um, it's similar to like the way the media is just having fun dunking on, um, all the white Republican people who don't want to get the vaccine and, um, uh, you know, making fun of them, ridiculing them and all that kind of stuff. And then are incredibly hands off and delicate about black people who don't want to get the vaccine. And I'm sorry, like, like there's, there's actually a really interesting, uh, public health expert historian black woman who has looked at this really closely blaming it all on the tuskegee experiment to assuage your white guilt or whatever it is doesn't explain you know the lack of vaccine rates in the black community it has to do with things like access mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things but even so if it's if it's dumb and mockable for white people not to want to get the vaccine the idea that somehow you have to understand and respect that black people don't want to get the, there's just something condescending about it and right um, um, but 
I can't remember where I was going to go beyond condescending towards black people. Um, I guess that, it kind of reminds me of Tim Scott in the reaction to his response, but we don't, right. I think that's been, that's been chewed over quite a bit already. Um, right. Um, all right. Is there anything else going on that we need to discuss and not discuss? Is there anything more we can, any, any more mean stuff we can say about guy? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> come on, Shadow. Let me take 10 seconds probably to come up with something. <laughs> I still think you should take an ancestry test because I want to see if there's any gall in your blood, which would explain <laughs> your lack of passion for your home country. I think that's I, the I only should explanation say, left. I should say, Jonah, chain smokers, they're common here. I yeah. I yeah. know people still who smoke like chimneys five packs a day, perfectly fine. <laughs> My yeah, one it, it pleasure a, in life. To, it's, it's funny when you go to Europe how it kind of reminds you of New York in the 1970s with people smoking all <laughs> over the place. And because it's so, it's so out here in America. And every now and then, like, I'll go to a bar in like Fairbanks or in Montana these places that allow cigarette smoking in the bar and you know how like smell is the most memory triggering of all the senses yeah. that smell that combined smell of like stale spilt beer and sad person sweat and <laughs> and cigarette smoke it just it it it's like there are a whole bunch of, you know, pixies sleeping in one part of your brain. And then you smell that and they all wake up and your brain just <laughs> floods with like the matrix cord plugged into the back of Keanu Head's brain uh, with all of these memories. And it's like you're like living in the French connection all of a sudden. I mean, it just it's <laughs> wild, that smell. And um, uh, and like when I went to Spain. Uh, from when my daughter was going to school out there. I mean, just, everyone's you know, smoking around. I think it was Norm Ornstein who once told this story about how he had a friend. Maybe it's apocryphal, but I, I first heard it from Norm about it. he had a friend who had been abroad or whatever for a while and for a long while. And he came to visit Washington and he was like, wow, Washington's changed a lot. I mean, all these big buildings and yada, 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 and Crystal mm -hmm. City. Bleh. And, uh, <laughs> Um, um, and he said, but I'm just, you know, I'm really horrified and disgusted with the hooker problem. And Norm's like, what are you talking about? Hooker? What? And he says, well, you know, you see all these, these young women in short skirts standing in front of buildings, smoking cigarettes. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. oh the greatest oh roast. Wow. Yeah. Really. Didn't and, even know it. And, he just he thought, like, oh, it. they must be, you know, loose oh. women to be, like, <laughs> standing in front of doorways smoking cigarettes because oh that's not God. what ladies used to do or whatever. Oh, and, no. Uh, it just, that was hilarious. So. Oh, my God. Oh, God. So, Guy, it's young people, too, right, that you see chain smoking. It's not just of a previous generation. You still see young more people, so right? more so of the older generations but it <laughs> is common still uh, it, very common among youngish people yes and i have no mm. idea where they pick up the habit that's the funny thing because in this country i don't know what cigarette packets are like in the u.s i've never seen one but here plastered on every cigarette oh, yeah. packet are pictures of charred lungs oh yeah this will kill you 
This will destroy mm-hmm. your sex drive. This you are giving yourself cancer by doing this mm-hmm. regularly. And they still, clearly that doesn't deter people from a young age. And they also have to be. I mean, like like in New York, a carton of cigarettes will cost you a kidney and and seven goats. <laughs> I mean, they're so expensive, right? Yeah. Um, how much? How much? How much does a pack of cigarettes cost? You know, there and and like in guilders or whatever the currency you guys use. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the exact figure, but it is also very expensive. Yes, that's another thing. I don't know how people afford it. Yeah, yeah. That was a test to see if guy smokes. <laughs> uh, six pounds, 13 pence. Uh, I think, I think, I don't know. I, don't, I actually don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I have I, to ask, Jonah, and, and we can cut this out if it's well known and I'm just not familiar with it, but what, what happened between you and Bill Maher? I wanted to follow up on this earlier. Oh, uh, right, so I, I have this, I have this problem where, um, I get into fights with people and, and loathe them. And then years later, um, because I try not to dwell on these kinds of things and it's the internet and whatever, um, I forget why I hate them. And so I used to have to like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I used to have to like email Catherine Lopez at NR and say, remind me why we hate this guy again, because I, love it. I would forget. And um that said i think i think mars a dick um i think the worship of him is ridiculous he uses his audience um as in a demagogic way to like attack anybody he disagrees with right um i don't think he's funny he's been a jerk to me many times um uh admittedly you know like i as i say i can't remember all the details about it i'd have to reconstruct it but um uh i think that he's a he his, his it wouldn't let me put this let me put it this way it would not shock me if he has written a long letter to roger stone detailing <laughs> some of the things he has done in his life and i mean that oh, figuratively no. not literally but uh oh, God. uh there are many stories about him in this regard uh some that are not appropriate for this family podcast um and uh um and i think particularly in the bush years he was such an unbelievable jerk and dishonest and um and i think he's got his his he's got a libertarian streak in him but he's also got this which sometimes me sometimes right wingers like him when he takes up one specific cause but at the end of the day um he is part in his in his soul he's part of the cultural left and he's he's an unpleasant person and um right. and so i I'd, I'd done the show a few times um both when it was on abc and then the hbo one and the last time i did it i was just like i'm, I'm never doing this again and mm-hmm. um and i felt bad because like i had said i was never going to do it again before and then you know when you have a book come out you know yeah. the publisher's like you don't want to tell your your publisher no to anything because they are always looking for excuse, particularly with conservatives, to not do anything. And so you uh, you always just say yes to everything. And so I said yes on one book tour, and I did it again. And people were like, "I thought you said you were never going to go on the thing again." And 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 they were right. And so I was like, "I'm not going to do it again." And um, yeah, right. and it's interesting 
someone was asking us about this the other day, about Bill Maher the other day, and because we want to sort of promote the dispatch better and all that kind of stuff. And and Steve was like, and someone proposed going on Bill Maher, and um, and Steve was like, well, I've sworn never to do it again. And <laughs> really? I was like, well, crap, so why? <laughs> so, what about David? Why don't you throw David yeah, out there? It. Yeah, no, that David would be, be great. Amazing. I mean, it'd be a little weird that the the two founders refused to go on to promote the dispatch. <laughs> but, um, uh, um, and Sarah's been on and I don't begrudge, you know, there are lots of people who've been on them and you, you know, uh, you know, Charlie cook loves doing the show and right, know, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't disparage people who, who necessarily do it. I mean, I do wish no one would ever go on it again and, and he would lose his show. <laughs> uh, but, uh, that's not in my power. So, um, and meanwhile, you know, canceling rob long in ireland so um i'm so um, curious about that i cannot wait for that episode okay well i'll give you the short version of it uh he does this podcast which everyone should subscribe to called the martini shot and the uh and all he does is just tell little stories and so and this irish radio station carried him and he was telling a story about how in the writer's room people tell incredibly like it's a contest to come up with the most offensive jokes you can come up with and it's oh. that's and the the funny part is that it's so in it's that it's so offensive right and it's, it's meta in that way and he says people always get into trouble when they have these jokes and they think and they've been in, they've been validated among their friends or their colleagues to just think they're generically funny and then they tell them someplace else and they get them into all sorts of trouble and so he told the story about how and I'm butchering it. You can go listen to it. But how in the writer's room one day, uh, they were out of like Diet Coke in the fridge. I don't think that was it, but it was something like that, right? They're out of Diet Coke in the fridge. And this, this writer says, Jesus, are you telling me we're out of Diet Coke? This is like Auschwitz in here. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it, it became this thing oh about like minor inconveniences being like Auschwitz. Oh, right. Oh. And um, and it it's funny, you know, look, I mean, like we said, you know, we were talking about this in front of John Podoritz, who's like the keeper of the flame of what is, is or is not appropriate Holocaust humor. And he was like, okay with it. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then Rob tells a story about how this guy went home for Thanksgiving and he, they're getting ready for dinner and they got family over and all that kind of stuff. And again, I don't remember what the exact thing was, but He's, he finds out that they only have one kind of cranberry sauce. And he's like, are you kidding me? This is like Auschwitz. One kind of cranberry sauce. And the problem is, is like there was actually like an Auschwitz survivor at the dinner. Oh, good Lord. And oh, it just dies. And, <laughs> and the problem is, so Rob tells this story, right? At a sort of a meta level, explaining how this can be a problem, whatever. And apparently it broadcast on a Jewish holiday in Ireland. Oh. And they were like, yeah, we're canceling it. We're not. So I mean, like, he's like, when I say he was canceled, I don't mean cancel culture. I yeah. mean, canceled. Like, his show was canceled. <laughs> you know? okay, we, are, we are terminating the contract. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it, we are, we don't call it, you know, it's called cancel culture. It's not called, we are terminating our contract culture because, right. and that's what this was. And, right. So, but I have total sympathy. I mean, like, I thought it was, it's a really funny story. And you should definitely listen to the episode, but he's totally right. I have these friends who I've referenced on here many times before 
these guys I used to work with in the nineties who are still my best friends. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of them was the best man at my wedding. You know, they're just, they're these guys who are just, they're, they're my boys. And, um, and we have these inside jokes that, um, do not translate outside the bubble well with that, unless you want to think we're monsters. And, um, right. And at one Everyone's example, which, the same, which I, Jonah. I, I've, I've, I've told this story before and then we got to go cause we got a meeting to go to, but, um, uh, so I've written about this a bunch of times on the night of, um, Marion Barry's victory in the democratic primary, which means you've won in Washington, DC after he had gotten out of prison. Um, me and a couple buddies were at a bar, um, the big hunt, it's, it's gone now on Connecticut Avenue. Is it? Um, or it's, it's going away, I believe. Oh, um, and, um, and we were watching the local, you know, it's a Tuesday night, so it wasn't like a crowded bar. And, um, we were watching the report on the local news from Marion Barry headquarters. And the reporter said something along the lines of, we're here at Marion Barry headquarters. It is a raucous, festive crowd. Huge turnout for the entire Barry coalition. Massive turnout from the ex-offender community. <laughs> and, um, and that was in part because Barry had campaigned at Lorton, which was this area prison, promising better, like, commissary privileges and conjugal visits if people got their family members to vote for him in the primary. And we thought oh, this was just like, first of all, the end of Western civilization, also really funny. <laughs> and, um, um, and like kudos, you know, sort of like Ron Burgundy talking to his dog about, you yeah. know, it was like, we're not even mad. We're impressed, you know, that right. Barry had done this. And, um, and so we decided we want to come up with a drink in his honor. And I should right. say in his honor is honor. Um, and so we came up with the Marion Barry shooter, which was equal parts, Jägermeister, Kahlua, bourbon, and Coke. Oh, and we oh. picked those because those were the four blackest liquids that we could pick. And oh, the reason was we, the idea for the, the shot was the Marion Barry shooter, shooter, so black, not even the man can keep it down. Oh, and, oh, and, oh and, and the whole joke, you know, double entendre about like, it's actually a terrible drink and it's hard to keep down and and you know and marion barry was this you know area we thought it was hilarious right and i wouldn't even tell you the worst stuff that i've we, we had come up with but i've written about this before so i can't escape it anyway right. um and you know it was said with love anyway so we <laughs> and now we can't either and so i wrote about <laughs> it and for several years afterwards like whenever cpac was in town and i was like at a bar or whatever these college kids would come up to me and order me Marion Barry shooters because they thought it was so funny. And it's oh, like, wow. I don't want to drink this. It is a bad yeah. drink. <laughs> yeah. um, it was a joke drink. Um, <laughs> you know, this was back in the days where my buddy Scott McLucas, uh, who was part of this thing, he invented a drink called the Occupado, which actually tastes really good, but he invented it because he called it the Occupado because it smelled exactly, and I, I swear to God, like, like that memory triggering thing from Cigar oh, yeah. Smoke, smelled yeah. exactly like the bathroom on an airplane. No. Oh. And uh, it's like in such a way that like you didn't think you had a memory of what airplane bathrooms right. smelled like. And then oh. you smell this and all of a sudden you're at 35,000 feet, you know? And so, you know, oh. we're, we're reprobates. And so anyway, I told this story a bunch. People think it's funny. Some, you know, whatever. And then I was at this conference with a bunch of squishy 
libs, including my old friend, Peter Beinart. And I told this story and everyone looked at me like I had a clan hood on. And um, <laughs> yeah. so I have some sympathy with what Rob was talking about. So, right. um, and maybe, and now maybe none of us can ever work at another institution ever again. So say, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So I didn't I, think I, my just, debut podcast, just so viewers know, when I was telling this joke, these guys were all shaking their heads, yeah. waving me off. They were exactly. disgusted. They went pale with outrage. Yeah. So it's all on me. Okay. Not too Jonah, pale, though. Jonah, Not like definitely, pale. <laughs> Jonah definitely isn't wearing a clan hood right now while we're recording this. <laughs> oh All right, guys. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll await feedback from listeners. I promise yeah. we'll do the normal ruminant thing more and all that. Um, at some, some point, we gotta, you got, someone's got to give me an opinion about the social justice thing that I recorded. Um, and not social justice, social Darwinism. Um, yeah. And uh, um, thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for listeners for indulging us. And um, we'll see you next time. No, no you won't. No, 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 you won't. No